Thank you, Christy, for that excellent reading. Uh, last year when I read to the children, two of them broke out in a fight, and I swore I'd never do that again. So thank you. Our entire sermon is going to be based on that book. So if you were paying attention, you're going to hear it again. If you weren't paying attention, you're going to learn something. So we're going to just uh, take a moment to pray before we open the word. God, would you still our hearts to listen to your word? Would your Holy Spirit invade this place and be part of our, our worship time? Lord, would you open our eyes to what we need to hear and see today? And we thank you, Father, for the birth of your precious Son. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, the candy cane. Uh, first off, confession, I am colorblind. I'm one of those rare women that is colorblind. Apparently there's green in this. Be like me and don't see it. You only see red and white, so that's my foreword. Now, if anyone has any wonder about the allure of the candy cane, all you have to do is look no further than the movie Elf. And in the infamous words of Will Ferrell, who is Buddy the Elf, he says, we elves try to stick to the four main food groups, candy, candy canes, candy corns, and syrup. I enjoy Buddy the Elf. Now, candy canes and Christmas traditions seem to go hand in hand. The traditional candy cane, so here you're going to get some candy cane knowledge. Traditional candy cane was made about 350 years ago. Mothers actually used just a white stick of sugar as a pacifier for their kids. But in about 1670, in Cologne, Germany, when there was all these choirs of kids that were singing, the choir master noticed that his little boys were wiggly and jiggly. And so he took that white stick and he kind of gave it a bit of a curve and he reminded them that they were singing at the living creche where the shepherds were. And this was to remind them about the creche, but this was also to keep them quiet. Now in time, uh, those white sticks were decorated with roses. And then in about the 1800s, the candy cane came to, to the United States when a German-Swedish immigrant decided to decorate his tree with paper chains and these candy sticks. Well, as soon as peppermint, which Phoenix does not like, as soon as peppermint was invented, that was added as a flavor. And then someone says that an Indiana candy, candy maker decided to use the red swirl as a way to tell the gospel. Now, there's lots of lore about the candy cane. Let me tell you, I know more about candy canes than I ever did before. But one thing we do know, that when it's upside down, it does indeed have a J for Jesus. And when we turn it around, it is indeed a shepherd's crook. The white is to represent the purity of the birth that we celebrate today. And the red is to represent the crucifixion that he was headed for. Today we're going to use that candy cane to talk about, as the last words of the book were, the miracle of the birth, the misery of his death, and the mercy of his coming. So today we're reading from Luke 2, verses 1 to 21. It's in your pew Bibles ahead of you. I don't know what page it's on, but I'm sure you'll find it. Luke 2, verses 1 to 21. 
In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and lineage of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the lawn shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. The miracle of this birth starts with an angel talking to Mary saying, you are going to have a child. Right there, that's already an amazing thing, an angel coming to you to say this. But this also is fulfilling a prophecy that we find in Isaiah. Isaiah 7 verse 14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel or Jesus. The man that Mary was betrothed or engaged to was Joseph. And he was going to end his relationship with Mary because she was with child. And what happens to him? An angel comes to him. And he says to him that he must take this woman as his wife because his son is going to be the Messiah. Joseph is to give this baby his protection not only as a father, but because he is from the lineage of David, which is very important because that fulfills another prophecy, and that is in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the greatness of his kingdom and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accompany this. Next, this child's birth is heralded by angels in a field, talking to shepherds. And who are shepherds? They are the lowliest of the lowliest of the low in that society. So you have to imagine this. The angels come and they don't go to the government officials. They don't go to the king. They don't go to the rabbis or the teachers or people of great learning. No, they come instead to shepherds. Often we talk about how God's kingdom is like an upside-down kingdom, and this proves it more than anything. He wasn't looking to make a political statement with his birth. Instead, he was coming to change the world in the most profound way ever. A humble king, born in a humble way, proclaimed to the most humble people in the region. Jesus' miraculous birth is like a pure white candy cane before the red stripes are added. He is Israel's Messiah. Better yet, he is our Messiah. Jesus, whose name means the Lord is salvation or the Lord saves. He is perfect. And the birth that he has is a miracle that changes our whole lives. The Lord is salvation or the Lord saves. God is binding himself to humanity through Jesus Christ. And even though we are the ones that broke that relationship, Jesus is here to restore it. So it starts when these shepherds hear the news of a birth. And then Jesus begins to associate as he grows up with the poor and those of low status. And when he's in the midst of his ministry, he hangs around with tax collectors and women and infirm. And he's freeing them from the lifestyle that the, and it, that the new kingdom is going to bring into reality. Now, we've all heard about covenants. God's been making covenants with his people since Adam. But in this, this passage that we've read, he had, when God had made a covenant with Moses, Jesus is now portrayed as the new Moses. Moses was there to, to protect the covenant God had made with the Israelites, and now Jesus is renewing that covenant and changing it, making it better. And then he's also portrayed as the new David, who's going to gather people and bring them together under God's rule. He announces the good news of God's kingdom. Following Jesus is going to change your life. Following Jesus is going to change everything about you. He heals the marginalized. He hangs out with tax collectors. He hangs out with sex workers. Jesus tells parables because he wants to teach the religious leaders that no one is outside the kingdom. He is going to call them sons and daughters. And better yet, and these are the words that I've been hanging on to all week, he reclaims us from death. God wants to know that because of Jesus, he wants us to know that because of Jesus, we are reclaimed from death. We are reclaimed from a sin that's going to separate us from God. And best yet, this reclamation work is for everybody. Nobody is outside of it. We are taught that uh, this new kingdom is for everybody. And the only entry is that you humble yourself and yet you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. 
Now, this upside-down thinking is too much for the religious leaders at the time, and they begin to reject his teachings. And then they begin to reject Jesus himself. They call him a threat and a danger. Well, Jesus is calling them out on their sacrificial system, and he throws over the tables that are in the temple, and it does indeed appear that he is dangerous. But in the end, Jesus is going to die for his people and bring about a new way of living, a new covenant. And his purpose is to be the ultimate sacrifice and give up his life so that we stay in covenant with him. We read in John 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. That is the reclamation from death right there. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is a verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth that comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. The account for Christ's misery, as we read in that page of the book, is a fulfillment of all of these Old Testament prophecies. The last one that I'm going to read is from Isaiah 53, 1 to 5. He who believed our message and to who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. When Jesus was on earth, he predicted his crucifixion many times. And in the Gospels, he reminded the disciples that his death was a divine necessity. And that both Jews and Romans were guilty of his death. Jesus conquered death and sin when he rose from the dead. His birth that we celebrate today begins to take on a whole new importance. The reason for the miracle of his birth led to his misery on the cross. And the red stripes on our simple candy cane symbolize the blood he shed on our behalf. We celebrate the miracle of God's birth, the misery of his death, but then we can also celebrate the mercy of what his life has held for us. For those that have family that live out of town, I'm sure you've heard the words, are you coming home for Christmas? 
It's something you might say often. And there's songs about it. As a matter of fact, I was humming, I'll be home for Christmas because, well, it's annoying if you hum it many times. And the, the thought came to me that ultimately, the home that I am longing for is heaven. And that is what is promised. That's the last promise that God left with us. Jesus paid the ultimate price for our sins. And that cleared the way for us to be with him. And that promise is in John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. That is a beautiful promise, and that is a mercy that we don't deserve. Jesus came to earth in a miraculous birth. He turned water to wine. He healed blind people. He touched lepers. He raised the dead. And he taught us how to live a life that glorifies him and a life that blesses others. Our job is to know that God came not only for the rich and the powerful, but for the poor. He came for us. He came for common and ordinary. He came for humble. He came for broken. He came for weary. And he taught us to love one another, to befriend the friendless, and to love all those that religion is rejecting. John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. So the question is, is are you coming home for Christmas? I would say, with a resounding yes, we are. At Christmas, Jesus was born in a miraculous way, and angels heralded his birth all the way through. He came to lowly shepherds because that's how his kingdom works. He comes to the marginalized and the poor. And then he came at Easter, he came at Easter to deliver us. He died a miserable death so that our sins would be paid for in full. And then he leaves us a promise that he's with us forever. He's left the spirit of truth or the Holy Spirit. So we started out talking about a simple candy cane. But I leave you with a challenge to use the candy cane to explain the gospel to someone who doesn't know it. So the J is for Jesus, whose birth is miraculous. Turn it upside down, you're reminded of the humble shepherds that he came to first. The white is for the pureness of Jesus. The red are for, is for the blood that he shed on our behalf. And best yet, and I didn't know this, but I know it now, when you're savoring your candy cane and not crunching it, the red stripes leave and you're left with a pure white candy. And isn't that what he does for us? He leaves us pure white. That is what Christmas means. It is the birth of a Savior whose life shows us how to live as God intended. The sacrifice on a cross that leaves us white as snow. 
Now, after this service, I have three wonderful gentlemen, uh, Ethan, Oliver, and Jackson, who are going to stand at the end of each section, and they're going to hand out candy canes to everybody that's here. It's a reminder that the gospel needs to go out, and this is a simple way of sharing it. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the miracle of your birth, the miracle of coming to this world and being a light in the darkness. We thank you, Father, for your death and misery on the cross because this meant that we would be with you forever and we would be forgiven of our sins. And we thank you for the mercy of your love that is showered over us. Father, may we live lives that tell others about who you are and what you have done and how you have saved us. Thank you, Father. In your precious name we pray. Amen.